Hi, this is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at uh, First Church Ministries in Newport News, Virginia, and we're in the book of Genesis. We're going to cover chapters 25-26 today, uh, talk a little bit more about Abraham and Isaac. Um, let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you for your word uh, that provides truth to us and helps us to understand you better and understand ourselves better and draw us closer to you in love. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us, that it would instruct us and open your word, that it might be real to us and uh, in ways that make a difference in our lives. And again, draw us closer to you. We ask in your name, Jesus. So we are in Genesis. Um, Again, uh, God created man in his own image, in the image of uh, God. He created him, male and female. He created them. Um, The essence of the Old Testament, um, in some sense, the New Testament, the revelation that we are that we were created in God's image, and God wants to have fellowship with us, and um, that God has provided a way for us to have fellowship with Him. And so, um, Genesis is the story of beginnings, uh, and it has uh, ten generations uh, listed in here. Um, six, if you count when that's repeated again, but they, basically the book. Has uh, this is uh, these are the generations of, uh, and each of these sections here, and and uh, but really um, uh, these are the generations of again each of these, um, except this is the book of the generations of Adam. But really, it's more of uh, tell us a story. Tell us a story about these generations and the, the people that came from it. And now the Israelites are out Mount Sinai. They're getting the law. They've been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and now they're uh, freed, and they're at Mount Sinai receiving the law and uh, rules to live by and getting ready to enter the promised land, Canaan, where all of uh, Genesis takes place, and so uh, pretty much. And so we're there. this is a story that they're hearing that they've heard before. Okay, so these generations are probably stories that have floated around for the 400 years they were in Egypt, and yet... Uh, garbled over time, and and we believe that uh, again that, that Moses received these directly, or the writer of these received these directly. So I don't believe they're garbled, uh, but there were something like that probably floating around out there. So there was some understanding of this among the people, and uh, and now they're getting the the straight scoop of things, and so they're sitting here listening. So these first five generations are before the flood and immediately after the flood, the, up through the generations of Shem. And we looked in the past, if you want to go back uh, into the earlier lessons about what this is. This is uh, the prologue here where God created Adam and Eve and there was the fall. And then you get the uh, generations of heaven and earth through Cain. So you get this, this lineage here for the first generation. And in the seventh generation, you get Lamech, seventh generation from Cain. And the seventh generation from Seth, you get Enoch. So you get a, an ungodly line, the line that fallen away from God. And you get a generation of godliness. And here's the generations of Adam through Seth. And that's second. And the third is the generations of Noah. And then the generations of Noah's sons. And, and then generations of Shem. And then after Shem, we get into Terah and uh, Abraham. So, so you see here that once you get into the second thing, you get this is the story of Abraham and Isaac. It says, if you if we went back on these couple of things, it actually literally says, these are the generations of Terah. But all it says about Terah is that Terah had three sons. Abraham was one of them. And then it goes on with the story of Abraham. Um, 
and uh, and then Isaac comes in here. You get the genealogy of Ishmael. You get the story of Jacob, which is really Isaac and Jacob together. I mean, um, it's really the story of Jacob, but it's, this is just the story of Isaac. Um, and this is the genealogy of Esau. And then that says this is the story of Jacob, the generations of Jacob. But the whole section is about Joseph and his brothers. Okay, so many times these are the generations of Jacob. Again, at the end would be these are these are these are the stories of who the, who came from uh, from Jacob, uh, Joseph and his brothers. And so we're we're here uh, in this section right here. Um, the story of Isaac and Jacob, and that's chapter 25 uh, of Genesis. And we, it starts out with Abraham's later years. And this is sort of just just how, uh, again, if you're, you're sitting and listening to the family tree and you understand the stories, this is an important story part of the thing, but it's, it's not part of the main storyline, but it does tell about Abraham and, and, and the end of his life. So we see Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimram, Jashem, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuah. And Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. And the descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letushites, and the Leumites. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abadah, and Elah. This is a really humbling experience to read all this stuff. Uh, all those were descendants of Keturah. And Abraham gave everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to his sons and his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. And Abraham lived 175 years. So again, Isaac was born when he was, uh, when Abraham was 100. So this, Abraham uh, died when Isaac was 75. Years are important here. So what is the purpose of what I'm teaching here? This is not just to give you some a bunch of information about the Bible. It is to give you information about the Bible, but that's not the purpose, okay? It gives you information about the Bible so you can spend time understanding and reading this more. If all you're doing is spending the time when I go through here, you're not getting out of Genesis what you need to get out of Genesis. You need to really be in there reading it and thinking about yourself and, and thinking about, so how does this fit in my situation? Are these people like me? And they're always going to be like you in some way. And how are they unlike me? And they're going to be unlike you too. And part of the part of scripture is, is, is being able to be honest with yourself about the parts that are like you're like and that you're not like. Um, but anyway, Abraham lived 100, uh, 175 years. Uh, and Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, uh, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite. Now, again, buried in the same cave that Sarah was buried in. And just note, it was Isaac and Ishmael together that buried him. So there were not, so there was hostility with Ishmael and the descendants of Ishmael and, and um, uh, Isaac, but, but, there, but there was not, um, it was not, it was not animosity, long-term animosity. It was a relationship. So it's like, you don't always get along with your siblings, but you always got them type thing. That's what's going on here. Um, uh, and so they were together and they buried him. And there Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. And after Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who then went to live near Bir Lahai Roy. Now, that finishes Abraham's life. And then there's one chapter right here about, about not even a whole chapter, but but just about 
uh, Ishmael, okay? And that's, these are the generations of. So when you see here, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Ishmael. It really is literally, these are the generations of Abraham's son Ishmael, uh, whom Sarah's slave, whom Sarah's slave Hagar the Egyptian bore to Abraham. These are the names of the son of Ishmael listed in order of their birth. Nebioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Abdeel, Mishbam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedemah. And these were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the 12 ruler, uh, tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. And again, the Arab people come from Ishmael. Um, Ishmael lived 135 years. He breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So he lived, he did not live as long as Abraham, 137 years, um, and uh, was gathered to his people. In fact, he, he probably died uh, shortly after Abraham. His descendants settled in the area of Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go towards Shur, and they lived in hostility towards all the tribes related to them. So again, that again, uh, they lived in hostility towards all the tribes related to them. So it wasn't it wasn't anything against again Isaac and the people. It was just it was a fractitious uh, family line. Um, so uh, then we talk about Isaac and Abraham. So we get the story. Abraham lived to a good old age, blessed richly. His sons buried him, which would be a comfort to his father to know that they were reconciled to each other. There's still the issues there, but but they were reconciled. And uh, and then Ishmael had these descendants. And so this is important to the Israelites because they're going to most of the people that are a lot of the people that are on com- company out in the desert, and when they actually go into the promised land, have some relation. The Ishmael uh, not in. Not at the, they're not Canaanites, but there is still the Arab nations around there. Um, so uh, Isaac and Rebekah. This is the account of the family's lines of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married the daughter of Beth, Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padam Maram, and the sister of Laban, the Arameans. And Isaac prayed on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, uh, Rebekah, became pregnant. And the babies jostled one another within her and said, why is this happening to me? So he went to, they, she went to inquire the Lord, and the Lord said to her, the two peoples from whom we, within you will be separated, and one will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time had come to, for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means red, by the way. And after this, uh, uh, in Edom is also another word for red. Um, after this, his brother came out and his hands grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob, which means grasper. Jacob means grasper. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to him. Um, so let me stop right there. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, I, I actually um, uh, was having uh, breakfast with uh, my favorite guy, Jose, he's sitting behind the camera now, uh, and we talked about this. So, so um, it's very easy. This is why I want you to slow down and ask where you are in this and what's going on here, because I've read this passage a lot of times, and I didn't really realize, okay, so Isaac's 40 years old, and, uh, and, he, and uh, Rebecca had trouble giving birth, and so he prayed, and she gave birth, and then a little bit later it says, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave him birth. 
So when you read the thing that Isaac prayed and, and Rebecca gave birth, it's very easy to think, well, he prayed and in a year or so he gave birth. But, but after probably the first year or two when she didn't have babies, he started praying. This is probably a, close to a 20-year prayer time before God answered his prayers. It's very easy for us to pass that over. It's very easy for us to think, so she had trouble having babies. That was it. And he prayed and it happened. And that's what we do. When we pray, it happens. But it doesn't always happen right away. God's timing is different than ours. It's vastly different than ours. In fact, uh, I, I, I'm firmly convinced that one of the features of this uh, universe, how it's created, the time-space matrix, is time. And that God uses time in our lives to do things that can't be done any other way. For one thing, it's given us a chance to repent and come back to him. So the angels didn't, don't have, they were created outside of time. They were given full knowledge. And when they rebelled, they rebelled with full knowledge. And there was no chance for repentance on that. It was a, yeah. But humans uh, sinned in ignorance. And God had mercy on us and has given us a chance to repent. And that's, that's so we say, oh, well, that's great. We have time. Okay, we, but then he uses time in ways to shape and form us to be more like himself. Now, God is outside of time, and yet he came into time in Christ, in Jesus, and lived. And, and, and we see some of the frustrations. So Jesus got very frustrated at times. You know, you know how, how long will I be with you, you wicked and perverse generation? Jesus said that, okay? You know, he didn't say it once. He said it several times. He, he would get frustrated. He was in time. And, oh, I, oh that my time would come. And, and then uh, when the Cain and uh, when we're, we're looking at John and the wedding and Mary comes to him and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And he says, what would you have me do? It's not my time. He's, he's a bit frustrated in time, too. And yet God uses time in our lives. And so I, this is, I don't pass over this too quickly because... There might be something that you really want badly and you're praying for and you're thinking, God is not answering my prayer or he's answered and he said no. And it may be not no, it might be. So, so when you pray, God always answers your prayers, but it might be a yes, it may be a no, but oftentimes it's wait or not yet. And so, so you see with Jacob, we, I identify a lot with Jacob Grasper, um, that, that, um, he was always trying to get to the end of something. I don't know where he was trying to get to the end of, just like I don't know where I'm trying to get the end of, but I'm always living in the future and not concentrating on the present. And God wants us to live in the present. He does want us to be future-oriented, but not live in the future. He wants us to live in the present. And, and sometimes that with Isaac here, that meant, there's other things God dealing with him on. So she's not going they're not gonna have a baby yet because that's not God's time. And 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 we say, well, but but I need I need this or I need that. I think God knows what you need, okay? I don't mean to be flip about it, but he does. And and often you don't know what you need. This is a, this is a humbling experience where you have to say, I will wait upon the Lord because the Lord is good. And in in due time, the Lord will give me what he has promised. That's what he taught Abram over time, over over the 175 years of Abram's time. Abram had to wait decades at times for things. And this is what Isaac got taught too, 20 years to have the baby. And in those days, having the baby was everything. Having an heir was everything. Um, 
And, uh, and you might say, well, it still is today. And it is in a lot of ways. I mean, people really want to have children and stuff like that. But in those days, it was also the means of lively, you know, taking care of in your old age and stuff like that. That was not the same society, um, the government that seems to, that helps out and, and things and other people. There were other people, obviously, but it, it was just not the same thing there. So he had to wait a long time for this. And I don't want it to pass it over quickly on that. Now, when she did get pregnant, she got pregnant with twins. And again, twins seem, seem to run in the, in the family here or, or in the city. Um, um, uh, well, um, I, I, I take that back. Uh, there, there is some twins, but it's not, it's not, not loads. Um, the, um, but she's being jostled and she goes to the Lord. Now we do not know how the Lord answered her. It says the Lord said to her, I don't know if he spoke to her. I don't know if it was a dream. I don't know if it was an inner conviction or whatever, but, um, but it, it, I doubt it was an inner conviction because it's a very specific word here and so somehow very specific words were conveyed to her that two peoples would be in her and they would um one be stronger than the other and the young uh, the older would serve the younger and so she had that now i i I picture uh rebecca a little like mary in the sense of having a story that she had before the baby was born that talked about the destiny of the baby and so she probably treasured that it's going to come in and actually cause some problems later on in this story um, as, as she tries to help um, God along, as we all try to help God along. Well, God, God has told me this. I know this is what God wants. I'm going to help him along. And we, we see how, we'll see how that develops next week. But right now, she's, she's, uh, having, she's having the baby. Um, and it says here, and the boys grew up, verse 27, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Now, I will say this, it sort of makes uh, Jacob out to be sort of a wimpy type of guy. Uh, that probably is not the case because he was a shepherd later on. And he, uh, when he went out, uh, ran away and went to bed, he put a stone under his head for a pillow. So he's not, he's not a, a, a weak type person type thing. And when he gets to where he's going, he rolls the stone away that everyone's waiting for other people to help roll the stone away, he rolls it away by himself to water the, the sheep. And so he's not a weak person, but he is a quiet person, academic, more academic. It does seem very quiet to me, actually, too, when you get into who he is. Um, but he he was certainly not a, uh, he was more academic. He was more cerebral than his brother was. Uh, and, and, and Esau was a here and now. So there is such a thing as living too much in the here and now. God does want us to live in the here and now, but we're going to see with Esau that he was all here and now, and he gave no thought for the future. And so he sells away his, his birthright for a cup of stew. Okay, So God wants us in the here and now, but he doesn't want us all in the here and now. He wants us living here, learning what he has for us, developing a relationship with him, but hoping for a future too. Um, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. So here you get uh, favorites, and, and, and people say, well, well, I don't have any favorites of my children. And I thought that too. But I asked my children, and they actually, there is some ideas of who might be favorites in our family. It's, it's interesting because it's not consistent. Um, and I, I, I might have contributed to it too. So when they were growing up, I would always say, you're my favorite. And then sooner or later, they, they said, but you just told him, you were, I said, why well, did say my favorite what? 
So, so you know, I, 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 you know, parents shouldn't play favorites, but inevitably certain things click. In fact, um, um, if they, they click too closely, it can be a problem. <laughs> You're not your favorite if the one's just like you, or they could be, you know, it's just like you. So it's, there's the, the thing in there, but there were favorites here. And unfortunately, the dad had one favorite and the mother had another favorite. I, I say unfortunately, it was unfortunate because it was a tug of war between the kids, but it would have been really pretty unfortunate too if both of them liked one kid and didn't like the other. That would have been hard to do. Favorites are not, you might have favorites, but you can't show favorites, okay? I, I, and and uh, you should work not to have favorites, <laughs> I guess, at the end. But um, um, this happened. And Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, give me some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why it was called, also called Edom, because, again, Edom means red. Um, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. And he said, look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. And he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. So he threw in the bread, I guess, for free. Uh, and he ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So here you get it a lot of complex interactions. You get mother and father playing favorites. You get guy coming in and he's just, he's, he's a man's man. You know, he's out in the game and he's tired, he's famished and he wants some stew. And you got the cook in there, the, the, the guy in the tents and he's making stew. And uh, so, so liberal um, uh, scholars have taken a lot of these stories as paradigms between the hunter and the agrarian farmer and just a story of the tension between the two. That's not what's going on. <laughs> this is just the story of two people that one, the one was, was in the here and now and the other that um, was, was basically planning or plotting his future, okay? And so he extracts the birthright from him. And he have Esau, really, um, the birthright was a very important thing. I mean, it was an inheritance issue. And that he would throw that away for, for a cup of stew speaks very poorly for you guys. It's hard to say how poorly to speak of that. You're not going to die if you don't get stew right away. Come on, it's not going to happen, okay? And so this whole interaction here it sort of sets a dysfunctional tone in here on what's going on. Um, and uh, you might identify, your family might be dysfunctional. In fact, you probably do identify because most families are dysfunctional at some level. Or another. Um, and so um, Esau despises his birthright and sells it to, uh, to um, Jacob. We're going to come back to this next week when the story develops in them. But right now, the birthright's been sold. Next time, uh, he stills the blessing. Um, so uh, let's look at, let's, let's uh, go through chapter 26, which really finishes up most of Isaac's uh, life. Isaac's um, prime prime focus in Genesis is in this chapter. Uh, now there was a famine in the land besides the f previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerard. Now let me, let me talk about this. So Abraham went to Abimelech. Abimelech is not a personal name. Abimelech means um, father king, literally. And Abimelech was sort of a title given to the rulers in that time period. So, so the Abimelech that that Isaac sees here is not probably the Abimelech that they, same 
same uh, Philistines and, and Hittites that were in the land at the time. So the same uh, in Gerar, I think, was actually where Abraham was too. So same area, but probably not the same king. Okay? That's going to come in a little bit later here. Um, and then the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt. Um, because again, Abraham went down to Egypt in the time of famine uh, and uh, gave away his wife, remember, and then came back, gave away his wife a second time. Um, and do not go down to Egypt, live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give these all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands through your offspring, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my de- command, de- decrees, and instructions. So I folded some of these texts so I can talk about them particularly, um, sort of a guide for me. So all the bolts in there is all my own. Scripture doesn't have any of that bold in the type in there. So um, um, so he, he says, uh, don't go down to Egypt, but stay here and I will bless you. Okay. And then, but, but then he says, I'll confirm the, uh, what I swore to your father, Abraham. So it's interesting. He doesn't say, I will bless you because of you. He says, I'm going to bless you because your father, because your father kept all the commands, because your father kept my decrees, because your father did this. And we, we touched on last week that God works through families. And there's a comfort there that God takes care of our families. And there's a truth there that God works through families. And if you're born in a believing family, um, yeah, it does not save you. You, have, you come to belief individually, and yet God's blessing rests on you in a way access, perhaps, to God is, is, is easier, I, I guess, is what I would say on that. Um, and God has promised to work through families. And so Isaac is being blessed here explicitly, not because of who he is, but because of Abraham. It's just, that's hard for us to deal with as Westerners, but it's the truth. Now, I said that God works through families and blesses families, and that's a great comfort to believers. But what about unbelief? What about if you come from a family that doesn't believe, okay? Um, God still loves you. God still works through you, and God will make you into a family that will then be blessed through there too. Because it says his, his curse rests on uh, to the... Uh, his curse extends to the third and fourth generation, and, and not, not the curse of that you're not saved, but, but the sins of the fathers followed down to the third and fourth generation. If your father had a problem with alcohol, you might have that down several generations. In fact, it passed down many generations, but the blessings are to a thousand generations. And so I, I just personally, I came when I became a believer, no one in my family were believers that I knew of. Okay, My father committed suicide when I was in high school. And uh, shortly after I became a believer, and to my knowledge, he was not a believer. My mother was not a believer. My brother was not a believer. My sister was not a believer. Now they're all believers. I'll walk with the Lord. I'll, my mother's passed away, but she did come to know the Lord afterwards. But no one in my family did at that time. And yet God created a new family history. Okay, And uh, we still have our problems. And we still see, I see the curses, that, uh, that uh, not, not God cursing me, but the curse of, of uh, habits and demons of my parents falling in both my lap and to the laps of my brother and sister uh, and into my children's too uh, at times. And so um, God, but, but say there's a continuity here too. Um, we are each responsible to come to God and God wants a personal relationship with each, each of us. And 
Isaac was precious to God, as Abraham was, and yet there's a continuity there. One of the reasons Isaac was precious was because of his father, Abraham. And so, uh, again, you're not getting much, you're not getting what you need to get out of here if you just listen to me and you don't spend some time afterwards thinking about this and how this applies to you. What about your family? Where are you? What is, 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 were you the wild, uh, the wild olive branch who was grafted into a, a believing family like I was? Or, or were you like Isaac in a believing family uh, in, in the natural olive tree um, example that's used in Romans? Where were you? And um, that does not guarantee your fruitfulness, your branch of fruitfulness, but it does help ensure it. And, uh, and that's where God works. And so, um, so, I, um, so Isaac stayed in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, she, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. This is why I say this is the father's capacity. He just finished saying, the, the passage just finished saying, Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and instructions. And yet, Abraham gave away his wife. Abraham was not without sin. And the sin that happened twice in his life, being afraid of being killed, and so saying his wife was uh, his sister, is now passed on to Isaac, okay? And I'm saying, uh, and this is tragic. I see things in my life that I pass down to my kids. Some of it, I'm pretty sure, got passed genetically, okay? Some of it was attitudes and habits I had that got passed down too. So some of it is sort of a physical passing down. And, and unfortunately, some of it was, uh, I just have to say bad genes, uh, and other of it was it was just uh, not bad habits, but sins of my life that get passed down and that I got from my dad. So, so again, part of this narrative is to help us understand who are we, how do we relate to God, and the way God does that is to give us the picture of a family and the interactions there and what's going on. And here again, Isaac is afraid. He's afraid for his life. He inherited the fear of his father. He also inherited the solution of his father. I, I, I don't know. Did, 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 his, did, he, if, hey, did he know that his father did the same thing? I don't know. But he wound up with the same solution. Um, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So I, I, Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Now, again, this is why I say it's probably different in Bimelech, because he probably knew the story, but 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 he might have been a little bit more on guard if he had uh, if he if he had this happened to him once um, in the same family, and they probably knew there was the same family there. So. Um, uh, Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. And Abimelech said, why have you done this to us? One of our men might well have slept with your wife and would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech gave order to all the people and said, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Okay, and so, so again, God protects him just like he protected Abraham, even though Abraham sinned um, with, with Pharaoh saying, and with Abimelech later, God protected the so it's interesting, I used to say, so uh, Abraham and Pharaoh, who sinned? Well, Abraham did, but who got punished? Pharaoh. Well, yeah, 
but not really, okay? Because God didn't punish Pharaoh. It happened, and, and God, God wasn't punishing Pharaoh. God was, was, was bringing about the restoration of his wife, and, and, and there was, in a sense, he was being punished, but, but, but Pharaoh himself says, you know, I'm innocent. I didn't know. And so God, God, God is not punishing an ignorant man. No better. On the other hand, there's a good chance Abraham would have been killed for his wife. And so there is a punishment in there too. Um, I'm sort of wondering on, wandering on that, this topic, but, uh, but, um, God takes care of us no matter what. When someone sins against us or hurts us, he takes care of us. When we have our own self-inflicted wounds, he takes care of us. So there's a comfort to know that God cares for us and loves us even when we do something wrong knowingly. But I will tell you this, God is a skillful, skillful surgeon, a skillful physician, and he will make it. I used to say, uh, um, so I did believe uh, we did spank our kids. We believed that spanking was appropriate, but I always thought it was the ref, uh, it was last resort, and even then, not in any kind of excess. And I thought anybody who resorts to spanking early or quickly is just it's just wrong. Okay, like that. But 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 you got to have everything. All right, God is willing to spank you if you need it to get you to correct your behavior. So if there's a senior harboring. Trust that God will take care of you and protect you, but it may have painful consequences, okay? He's, he, the, it's not a punishment for a believer. That's not a punishment. It is a, um, it's to get you to turn away from your sin. And he can cause great embarrassment to come on you, great um, shame to come on you, to get you to repent. And so God wants you uh, to follow him. And unfortunately, we've seen some of that. And uh, it's hard to be a pastor. It's hard to be a um, public figure. And, and we see that in some of our public figures. And some of them, we wonder just how well they were ever walking with the Lord. But then we see others that we knew from all appearances walked with the Lord quite a bit and were close to him. And yet they fall into. Uh, and that's to say that we're all in the same boat. This is why I said about Lot and so if you can't identify with the pressures and, and squeezing that cause Lot to do awful things, then you may be hiding something from yourself. Because when we get pressured enough or we get caught in a vice of sin tight enough, we'll do most anything. Uh, and, and, and there's always a part, I think, in a believer that wants to be like the Pharisee. I thank God that I'm not like these. We'll never admit that. We'll say, no, no, no. But it's like, I could never, there's just, I could never do that. And the truth is, we're sinful. We're the root of Adam. We sinned and we can do that. Um, and God has came to save us from that. And he will do what he can, uh, what's needed to make us do this. In this case, he delivered Isaac with no consequences, but there could be that. Okay, on we go. Verse 12, Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. And the man became very rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. And he had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So uh, several things here. Um, we pass over this very, so there's a parable of the sower of the seed and he reaps a crop. I think it's uh, 30, 60, 100 fold. And we hear 100 fold. Let me tell you this. It is hard to get 100 folds from grain. One grain, 100, 
is very hard. That's a supernatural blessing. If you look at like wheat, you'll get 30. Okay, great. If, if one thing of wheat sprouts, it's about 30 to 35 grains that come out. And that's our modern wheat, okay? So that's after we've picked the best of the fruit and stuff like that, you can get a hundredfold for something like barley or something like that, but it's a pretty extreme event. What I'm saying here is that's a hundredfold blessing is a supernatural blessing. It's not a natural blessing. So when you reap, so, so you also get some liberal scholars saying, this is again, man domesticating and growing grain that that's not that. That's that is happening, and that's the story. That's the story of some of their agrarian movement and stuff like that. But that's not what this story is about at all. This story is about uh, him staying in the land in the famine and him uh, reaping a hundredfold. Now think about that. So, so if you put a thousand dollars in the bank, and and you waited six months, which to grow your grain, and it became a hundred thousand dollars. That's immense wealth. Okay, and so. He was, you know, I have to say, he was like, oh, I don't know, um, Bezos of Amazon. And he was the super rich. And, and, and so the, the, and he was super powerful, so powerful that nations, the Philistine nation, uh, was, was envious of him and worried about it. But they didn't touch him because God was protecting him, okay? Uh, but still, he's, well, this is why I can't really relate to this guy because he was so much like that. But, you know, the truth is, we're richer than he was, Okay. We live in a better house. We drive. We have better transportation. We have better climate control. Better food. Now, I, there are people that are starving. I'm not saying they're not, but for the vast, vast, vast majority in the United States, even the ones who are below the poverty line are living in a better situation. Than this guy was in a lot of areas. Okay, um, maybe not below the poverty line, and I do not mean to make light of that at all. What I'm aiming at is the the lower. Uh, middle class and the upper uh, lower class and the middle middle and upper middle that I'll say if well if I was like that I, I we are blessed beyond belief okay we're blessed we, we you know to speak in secular terms we won the lottery uh, we were born in a country that has freedom we were born in a country that has food and abundance and infrastructure and uh, a government that's functional and you may say it's non-functional but Trust me, if you've been in some other places, you know what a non-functional government can be like, okay? Um, doesn't function near as well as it should, but that's still, it's still a blessing, okay? That we have law and order, that there are people striving for justice in the system, and that there, it, it is more just than, let's say, this situation would be, where if someone wanted someone's wife, they could just kill them and take them, okay? So, so there's more justice than that, Um on the whole, and again, I, I don't mean to make light of the problems because there are problems here, but this one I say is we need to be thankful for where we are and what God's given us because it, th- this was, so there was Isaac, but Isaac had uh, slaves and you could have been born into one of the one of slaves or you could have been born as a slave to one of the other rulers that weren't as nice to the day. So, so we live in a generation where our blessings are so incredible that we pass them over and we don't give thanks for them. And this does apply to us, okay? This blessing that God has given us does apply to us. We, we worship freely. There are some curtailments on freedom of, of faith, but they're minor, very, very minor, historically, what's been in there. And we just need to be thankful that God has put us in this land and, 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 and blessed us. 
So they became the Philistines envied him. So all the wells of his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham. The Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. And again, um, people that enjoy the blessing of the Lord sometimes incur the pro- incur envy of, of, the, uh, of others too. Um, it, just as we envy others, though we shouldn't, but we should, um, we have been given a blessing of God. And we should be thankful for. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. And Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of father Abraham with the Philistines that stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave him the same names his father had given them. Water rights, by the way, in, the, in this time period are very, very important. If you don't have water, you don't have the wells, you can't have your flocks. There's, there's some grass, but if you don't have water, you can't become wealthy and, and, and uh, crops or uh, animal uh, uh, husbandry. So, so Isaac's servant dug a well in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. Uh, but the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. Again, this is my property, get off of it. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him and they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also and they named it Sitna. So he moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it and he named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given to us room and we'll flourish in the land. So, so we get this, this um, him trying to be accommodating. So, so Isaac's living under, they're, wor- they're fearful of him, and yet he, they still, there's still this tension in there and stuff like that. And Isaac's way to deal with it is to move on, okay, which is actually a pretty good way of dealing with things at times. Okay, not out of cowardice just because you got to move on to get on with your life. And that's what he did. He moved in and he finally found a place where they weren't going to quarrel with them. They dug the well far enough away. And from there he went up to Beersheba. And that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And again, I just just, uh, highlighted that again. Because again, the blessing is from a faithful father, and a, and a faithful father, mother can pass on a lot. Um, the greatest theologian I think ever, um, aside from uh, uh, biblical times, like Paul, was uh, Augustine of Hippo, uh, and his his mother prayed for him. Monica prayed for him all every day, all the time when he was zooming up in the world as one of the top rhetoricians of the Roman Empire, and. Uh, until he became a believer. And he always, you always remember that. So there is a blessing in the family. And we should always pray for our children. And, uh, and just children, we should hope our parents are praying for us. And um, Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And there he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. See, again, well dealing is very, is very important because no water, no life. Um, meanwhile, Abimelech came to it. Uh, meanwhile, and Bimelech had come to him from Gerar and Aza, his personal advisor, and Fecal, the commander of his forces. And uh, Isaac asked him, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? So, so again, he's smarting a little, okay? He's like, why, why have you come here now? And, and uh, they answered, we saw clearly the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty. Uh, with you, so you would do us no harm, just as we did no harm, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. Now you are blessed by the Lord. And Isaac made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. And early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. And Isaac 
went, uh, sent them on their way and they went away peacefully. And so we have um, um, the godly living at peace with the ungodly. Um, and, and I think that God wants us to do that. Okay, the gospel flourishes when there's peace. Um, it can flourish in times of, of or in hard times too. And people say sometimes adversity comes on us so the gospel can flourish more, and that is true. On the other hand, it flourishes in peace primarily. Okay, they spread through the Roman Empire peacefully. Okay, there were persecutions, but the actual spread of Christianity was more or less peaceful because the Roman Empire was at peace. It wasn't a bunch of balkanized different nations that were fighting with each other. And so, so we see this here, live at peace with all men as you can. Uh, and the, that day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. We found water, and they called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. Uh, and when I, Esau was 40 years old, he married Ju- Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, uh, and Basma, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So what you get here is Esau. Now, this night. So they're twins, okay? Esau and Jacob are twins. So Jacob's 42, obviously. Um, and so he's 40 years old, and he marries two Hittites. And, and, uh, and they're a grief to them. Because, again, the Hittites and the Philistines, the Canaanites that were living in the land, were starting to do their practices were uh, immoral practices. Okay? Um, and um, uh, they, they were a source of grief to him. So that's going to come into play in the next chapter when we talk about Jacob and stuff like that. But, but again, um, it's working in families. So this guy took um, two wives, two Hittite wives. Yeah, he is going to take a third one in, in a, a little bit later uh, to try to make his parents a little happier. I don't think he really understood what was going on in this situation. But um, here we get a family. We get Isaac, and, and this is pretty much the end of Isaac. So I want to say a little bit about Isaac as I close up here. So Isaac, um, some liberal scholars talk about Isaac as a uh, transitional figure. Some liberal scholars actually say he never existed, okay? Because his, his family life is so weak. Or it, it, what he did in his life is so weak compared to Abraham and Jacob. And, uh, and yet... Um, there's no reason to suspect that, and there actually is a lot in there when you start looking at it. Uh, you see a man who um, grew up in a time of peace, pretty much, didn't have the same turmoil that Abraham, but had to wait for a child 20 years. Um, in fact, part of the problem with Isaac, too, is some of the experiences are so similar to Abraham. They say they, they just refabricated him at him on. He's a transitional figure between the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac, and then created a history to link us up to Jacob, okay? But there's a lot in Isaac that we can see in there. The fact that he, he was married 20 years, he um, had to pray for his wife, he had to, he, how he handled the situation with uh, people that were at, um, uh, not at war with him, but certainly uh, had enmity towards him. And then we see how he handled his children poorly, uh, in, in, in one sense, at least, and not totally poorly, because he seemed to raise up two good kids in a lot of ways, um, but with problems. And some of the problems were problems that he probably passed on. And we, the, the, the greatest grief of a, of a parent is a, a child that um, uh, 
you see your sins in his life or her life. And, and you just look at them and you think, I pass that on to them. Okay. But God also gives us the unction and the grace of prayer where he can change things. And if you've inherited that, and I, and I can feel some of the stuff I've inherited, I, I literally feel it. And, uh, I have to say, but God's grace has been in my life and has changed me. So, so families are important. Families are a blessing. And yet families do not define us. Okay? And God defines us. You know, and our relationship to God is, is, is a definition of who we are. And so as you read through this and you, you try to ponder over and you say, where do I fit into this? And what does this mean in my life? I have to say this. God wants to have that relationship with you. He wants to be the one that starts a new family line through you. Or if you're in that family line, he wants you to continue it. And so um, turn to him. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time really reading through these passages and thinking, how does how's this like my family? How is it unlike my family? Uh, pray for grace that God would show you that. And then pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the strength. Is This is the difference between New Testament believers and Old Testament believers. We've always been saved by God's grace. We've always been saved through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always the giver of life in any place. But the Holy Spirit only dwells in believers in the New Testament and onwards, okay? In the Old Testament, even with Abraham, even with David, the Spirit rested on him from time to time, long periods of time, particularly with David and Moses and to an extent Abraham, but he never dwelt inside, okay? And that's why Jesus said, uh, about John the Baptist, none greater has arisen than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist because New Testament believers have the Holy Spirit. We have a source of power to transform our lives, but the Holy Spirit waits to take that control. He waits on us to, to ask him into our lives. Not that he's not, he hasn't saved us, but that he might dwell with us and, and give us a desire and the energy and power to change. Because I tell you, you can't do it by yourself. Some of these sins are bigger than you. The devil is not someone to just, um, is, he, he, is, he is an adversary um, that we can't defeat without God. And so we call on the Holy Spirit to do that. I'm going to close this in prayer now. Lord, we thank you for the lives we see in the uh, Old Testament, uh, people's lives that you changed them and that they've been changed by you. And... Um, Lord, I just pray that uh, we would draw closer to you, that we love you more, that you would give us an appreciation for uh, how close you are to us, how we have a wealth of scripture and we have believers around us. And Lord, I just pray that we would um, depend on you to give us a desire and strength to change and that you would then fulfill those desires uh, in us by you. And uh, we thank you for your great love. We pray in your name, Jesus.